Good afternoon and welcome to Identity Governance as the Key to Future-Proofing Your Security Posture, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Improvada. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send your questions or comments in as they occur to you in the Q&A box. We'll take those later in the program. And we're going to do a little one-question poll later on and have our panelists guess at the results before we reveal them. So that should be fun. Nice way to view your screen today. Click in the top center and get it in side-by-side -side mode. Adjust your divider to get the video boxes and the slide the size you want. And it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Randy Nail, Director of Modern Workplace with Microsoft, Brian Selfridge, Partner and Director of IT Risk Management with Metatology Services, and Wes Wright, CTO with Improvada. And then we will have our Q&A. So without further delay, we're going to have a fun conversation, lots to talk about. Let's jump right in to our conversation. Randy, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? The tiny organization, right? Tiny. No one's heard of it. <laughs> exactly. So first of all, Anthony, thank you for the uh, invite and uh, Improvada West. Thank you for uh, sponsoring the webinar. I really appreciate that. So oh, um, yeah, so I work in Microsoft's US healthcare um, business. So as you all mentioned, Microsoft's a fairly large company and um, we have a business um, you know, worldwide, but also a focused business here in the U.S. that's focused on um, healthcare and life sciences. And um, in that business, I'm a, a, a digital uh, healthcare architect or a healthcare um, technology strategist. Um, I tend to go by uh, different titles, but essentially my job is really to help um, our customers, our healthcare provider customers, payer customers, life sciences, biopharmas, those kinds of folks, um, help them understand, um, you know, how Microsoft's cloud can contribute to the business outcomes thereafter. And, and, and you know, uh, sort of aligned with our mission statement, sort of how do we empower them with our technology to achieve um, the digital transformation and, and digital augmentation of, um, you know, what they're trying to do in their industry. So again, thank you for having me today. Very good. Brian? Sure. Likewise, thanks so much for the opportunity to be here with you. Um, so my organization doesn't quite have the brand name recognition <laughs> of, of the, the other, my other esteemed colleagues here. So I'll, I'll explain it a little bit. Uh, I'm one of the partners and owners of two companies, um, Metatology Services and a company called Coral Technologies. Um, Metatology is a top-ranked security and privacy advisory firm dedicated specifically to healthcare. Um, we've held the number one ranking for, in the class rankings, for instance, for several years running, just to give you a sense of it. So we work with hundreds of healthcare entities across the country, providers, payers, other tech firms, and folks that service the healthcare uh, industry in one way, shape, or form. Um, we do some work for the federal government, so I'm the, um, uh, one of the HIPAA expert witness folks for the Office for Civil Rights. Uh, so if there's HIPAA compliance issues, that's, that's part of the work that we do and that I do. And um, from the second company that we own and manage is Coral Technologies, which does third-party vendor risk 
managed services specifically for healthcare. Um, so um, that's a little bit about us. I'm also a recovering healthcare CISO. So um, I've been on both the, the dark side and the light side, and um, I'm not quite sure which is which anymore. I think, Wes, maybe you can answer that for us later. You, you've been on both sides as well. Yep. What a, what a segue. Wes, speaking of the dark side, Wes, tell us what? about your... Wait, 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 wait. Not oh, sorry. Dark... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Tell us about your organization and your role, please. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm uh, Wes Wright. I'm the chief technology officer at Improvata. Uh, everybody knows Improvata is the uh, uh, perennial tap-and-go uh, company that uh, saves uh, clinicians a bunch of time uh, logging in and logging out. But uh, what a lot of folks don't know, and that's why we're doing this seminar, seminar webinar, uh, is that uh, uh, you know, Improvata is a little more than that now. Uh, we're a digital identity company, uh, specifically like uh, Brian, uh, Metatology and Coral, uh, focused and Randy's uh, division too, focused exclusively uh, in healthcare. Uh, I've been with the company just a little over two years. Uh, prior to that, uh, as Brian alluded to, I, I, I did about 25 odd uh, years uh, on the health delivery organization side uh, in various CIO and CTO, CTO roles. And my uh, last one was uh, uh, out in Northern California at a, a small uh, integrated delivery network uh, called Sutter Health, uh, where uh, Randy and I uh, first made our acquaintances uh, uh, as we went through a digital transformation project out there. Very good, Wes. Thank you very much. Sure. Um, next question, Brian, we're going to start with you. Why is focusing on the perimeter no longer a useful concept in developing a security strategy when and why did things change? That's a great question, Anthony. I, I think for me, it's all about following the data. And, and let me explain that a little bit. So in a past life, several past lives, I, I did some work for the Pennsylvania Office of Attorney General, tracking down spammers and bad guys and cyber criminal type folks. And we had a saying in that office, and I think the FBI uses this too, but you got to follow the money, right? Where If you want to get to the root of where the issues are, follow the money. I think for to make that analogy here, it's about following the data. The perimeter isn't cutting it anymore. You know, sticking with that analogy, our, our money isn't in the vault, the bank vault anymore, right? It's not about um, securing a single location where sensitive information, or in this case, you know, money may reside. Our data is everywhere, right? We're, we're not confined to a single data center, a single repository, a single network that we can lock down and feel secure about anymore. And We've got sensitive data all over the place. It's, uh, you know, the, securing the vault and the, you know, our data centers is still important. Don't get me wrong. I think that's, that's something we need to do and have built capabilities around historically. But our healthcare data is now on a dazzling array of devices and locations. We've got traditional IT systems and networks. We have mobile devices, tablets, medical devices, home patient monitoring, smartphone apps, cloud environments. So you, you guys know you're all in, in this world. Um, so it's about figuring out how do we follow that data around and you know traditional healthcare entities are are now managing hundreds and thousands of third party vendors too so our data is with them we share it with them they have third parties or fourth parties to us that are they're sharing their information with they're using the same ranges of technology we are so i think the idea that we can just post guards and monitors around the perimeter and around the network is just no longer a viable concept um, in protecting sensitive information in all the places that it lives. Very good, Wes. 
I see you fooled me. I thought you were going to go to Randy there. Uh, and, you see? Yeah, Always throwing your curveball. Got to stay on my toes. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I really couldn't have said it better than, than what uh, Brian said it just then. It, it is, you know, I, I give this briefing because Improvada is a digital identity company. I give this briefing on why and how um, the uh, identity has become uh, the new perimeter. Uh, and actually, it's transferred uh, out of just uh, being the new perimeter. We, we think of it as the new control plane. That It's through the digital identity that you can control access to, to applications, data sets, even uh, network resources. You know, I, I first heard that uh, saying uh, back when uh, uh, Randy and I met and I was doing a lot of work with Microsoft and their identity uh, division and and th- those those folks would always say, yeah, identity is the new perimeter. Identity is the new perimeter. And, what, yeah, yeah, what, what does that mean? And yeah, uh, it, it is the new perimeter because that's the only way that you can you can really control things. Uh, and it's not just the, the new perimeter. As I said, it's the new control plane. Uh, um, and I think it started being that way to get to the second part of your question, Anthony. Hmm. I'd say I'd say somewhere, you know, I, it probably really started uh, r- right about when the iPad came out. Uh, that's that's when we started uh, poking holes in that perimeter so that the uh, doctor or nurse uh, could could get to that special application that they like to use on their on their iPad. And, and as Brian was saying, as as the different types of devices uh, have proliferated, it makes them try to hook up to different types of applications, most of which are not inside the perimeter anymore. So, so we really uh, kind of did it to ourselves, uh, poked so many outgoing holes in the perimeter that we made the perimeter uh, less a barrier and more a sieve. Uh, but don't get me wrong, I mean, I, uh, there's some CISOs out there. Listen, you know, the reasonable man standard is that yeah, you're still going to have firewalls and segmentation and that kind of stuff. Uh, what we're saying on, on uh, identity is the new control plane is uh, yeah, have them out there, but don't be as dependent upon them uh, as as you might have been as little as five or ten years ago. So that's interesting, uh, Randy. You know, p- point being that it doesn't. Uh, substitute it doesn't do away with the old techniques of segmentation and firewalls this is just an additional measure an additional consideration and strategy you you layer on top of that correct yeah i think so um you, you know there's been another concept um that's been around longer than identity is the new perimeter and that's defense in depth and so we're sort of used to that model where you layer on um you know, defenses or, or controls so that if there's a breach in one, you know, it doesn't become sort of, I, I lost everything. Um, and so we're used to that concept. And I think what has sort of happened and what um, Brian and Wes were, were talking about is that um, identity has sort of become maybe one could think about it as one of the um, most outer bound um, layers of that defense as well as sort of permeating all of those layers. In other words, uh, before I grant you access to anything that might be sensitive, I need to know who you are, you know, and, and, and other things about you to make sure that you're authorized, you know, to, to get that data. And then um, 
at, at steps along the way, I need to re-verify that. And so um, the way we think about that is at Microsoft is we still have sort of the traditional, what one might call the traditional um, layers of defense, um, you know, in our cloud and in our products that customers deploy in their clouds and, and in, in their uh, workplaces. Um, and, and then we have sort of, you know, those additional layers that we bring about via things like um, the intelligence security graph, where we gather, you know, data from all those control points and try to make better decisions about access and who, who should access what and whether that's appropriate or, or not. Um, and then our conditional access, um, which um, is one of those things that can provide multiple checkpoints. So, you know, when I came through the first door, I va validated who you are and, you know, that you're authorized to come in the door, but then you go access a different application or a different, um, you know, um, asset or data that's scoped in a different way from a sensitivity um, perspective, maybe I ask for additional sort of verification of identity. So um, that's a long way of saying that, I, you, know, you know, Wes and, and, and um, Brian were absolutely right. And, and it's just an extension of that defense in depth con, uh, concept to accommodate, you know, where we live um, and, and how we are currently, uh, you know, all working, for example, here, where we're all in our home, you know, doing our professional day jobs, so. Very good. So we're saying that definitely it's part of the strategy. Um, let's talk about the increase in remote workforce and telehealth. Um, does this become even more important in the type of world we live in now, or does it present new challenges we're still grappling with? Wes? Uh, yeah, a little bit of both. Uh, I think it, I think it really depends on where you were at uh, on March 13th when the when the when everybody uh, essentially got sent home. Uh, it depends on where you were at in that that digital ID that digital transformation journey. Uh, I know we had a uh, a bunch of our customers. We offered free uh, uh, multi-factor authentication uh, licenses. Uh, to to our customers uh, because we realized that some of them might have got I don't know proverbially caught with their pants down uh, on the on the March 13th and and weren't really from a licensing perspective weren't really uh, ready to to do uh, multi-factor authentication or remote access from home and that's that's one of the that's one of the most important things in my opinion uh, that that you should be doing uh, if your remote workforce now uh, isn't having to uh, somehow do a some kind of secondary uh, authentication to get to network resources. Um, I, I, I feel a little a little bad for you because again, it's a it's a, a de defense in depth uh, as Randy uh, so eloquently stated. You know, it's yeah, I, I, I'm trusting your username and password uh, that you're, you're who you say you are, but you know because you're not here in the office anymore. Uh, I want to. I want to. Uh, as Reagan said, trust but verify, and that that uh, secondary authentication that uh, uh, that, that uh, you should be using is that verify step. So it, it's uh, yeah. I'd say yeah. It's more important than ever because you have uh, you have more uh, vulnerability uh, out there than than you ever had. Very good, Randy. Yeah, so you know, first of all, I'll ju I'll just agree with what what Wes said. Um, you know, not that we've you know had one of these discussions uh, before, Wes, but you know, um, 
And I, you know, to double down on that, I think it has increased um, with remote workforce and, and telehealth and, and all of that. And, you know, we were already on that trajectory. You know, if you go look in the healthcare industry and, you know, what folks were doing, there's more home health, you know, that started before, you know, the pandemic, which extends what we're doing to remote work or virtual care delivery or, you know, however you like to uh, talk about that. And then, um, you know, the pandemic increased a bunch of that. And, and so, uh, you know, I think it is more important for the reasons, um, you know, Wes described. But then also, um, you know, as we look toward the future and these intelligent devices, both consumer and <clears throat> sort of medical grade being deployed remotely into people's homes, um, you know, both in response to COVID as well as um, to, to treat, you, you know, um, diseases that require, um, uh, you know, that kind of uh, information that, you know, continuous, um, you know, telemetry from um, the patient, you know, that's more devices that are outside of our walls. That's more data that, um, you know, we need to keep our arms around and make sure that data is accurate, make sure that only the right people have access to it, make sure that, um, you know, um, people aren't holding us uh, for ransom, uh, um, you know, by uh, infecting um, and affecting um, some of those devices or data or, or that sort of thing. And so if, you know, you sort of believe what we said about identity being the new control plane and that that additional layer of defense and in, in depth and then permeating through all of that, then you have to believe that the digital identity is more important as we as we sort of, you know, proliferate that data um, and, and those applications and those devices even more, um, you know, as we went into COVID and, and, you know, as we come out of COVID and have learned um, how we can do things, um, you know, in remote ways and in virtual ways. Brian, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would absolutely agree with both Randy and Wes here on, on, on everything so far. And I think it's important for us to remember that this movement to remote work and COVID is, is not happening in a vacuum, right? It's not like we everything is staying still and then we move remotely. The threat landscape has been evolving and changing this whole time as well. So, you know, for the first time in our in our history as healthcare, we we have the highest ranking, most prominent breaches are happening from active hacker attacks, right? It's no longer about oops, we lost the laptop, oops, we lost the USB device. And that's still happening, but that's now the number two most common breach cause. Number one is active hacking activities uh, from the outside. And so, you know, I think the key here is that, uh, you know, we're seeing as long as we have these increased volumes of people logging in remotely, we have a lot of the workforce, the executive operational folks that didn't traditionally have remote IT access now have a larger presence. We have a larger footprint. Um, you know, the identity aspects become critical because we, we see that um, you know more, for, more more folks have access, more logins. The more logins, identities, and that sprawl that we have going on means we have just that many more places to have to protect as the individuals and the data uh, go out. So I think it all comes down to identity in a lot of ways as the threat landscape is shifting at the same time as we're trying to figure out how to solve the problems of pre pandemic um, healthcare security generally. All right, very good. Next question, we start with you, Randy, on this one. Talk about how your customers are recognizing the need and planning their digital identity strategy. For example, implementing 
identity governance or adopting a single vendor platform approach, how are they getting off on the right foot and what are some keys to success and pitfalls to avoid? So your so Anthony, I'll warn you, your last questions were much shorter and my answers were still long. So um, I'll try to, <laughs> I'll, I'll maybe just try to touch on a couple of these points and then uh, give my colleagues a, a chance to dive into some of the others just to uh, keep us moving along here. I have been, I've been told I tend to talk a bit, so um, I'll try not to. Um, so, so I think uh, one of the anecdotal things I can point to is um, just the increase in volume of the number of outreaches from customers. You, you know, hey, Microsoft, tell us what you're doing around identity governance. Hey, Microsoft, tell us, um, you know, what products you have um, to help us secure remote work. You, you know, all of those kinds of things, um, you know, just, just continue to sort of come in at a faster pace from our healthcare customers than they had in the past because I think because of that urgency that we talked about on those um, you know in the former on the previous questions and then the other thing um, that I, I would say is that um, the other indicator is you know Improvada and Microsoft have a partnership around identity governance that takes what we do as a platform and extends that to healthcare specific applications and scenarios and use cases and all that and you know, around the recognizing the need for their digital strategy and implementing governance, and you know, sort of trying to get to maybe not a single vendor, but a universal or a unified identity. I think you know, our sort of the interest of customers in jointly how Microsoft and Improvada can put together the whole ecosystem so they can achieve that sort of unified identity for employees, for contractors for uh, patients, for, you know, external uh, providers, you know, whether that be independent physician practices or, or what have you, um, business partners like payers, <clears throat> you know, all of those kinds of things. Um, you know, our customers are, are, are essentially saying, you know, when we made that announcement about the partnership around identity governance is, hey, how do we do that, right? So, um, so I would say absolutely, right, that, um, that they're, recognize it and they're asking about it and even more so they're uh, taking action on it um, and taking action is things like you know hey what are the best practices hey Microsoft hey Improvada um, um, you know can you can your products help us get started faster move more quickly you know all of those kinds of things and as far as they uh, how to get off on the right foot I'll, I'll leave it to Wes to talk about some of the accelerator kinds of things that um, Improvada has put together around that partnership that help helps customers get off on the right foot very good we'll get to Wes in a moment but uh Brian I'd like you to jump in sure thing I'll I'll, I'll share Randy's uh, sentiment to try not to be too ver verbose on this one but um you know, I think for us, our, our customers are all over the map with respect to their identity management strategies and maturity uh, in, in, a, in a bunch of ways. So the reality is our, our technology ecosystem in healthcare is just wildly complex, I think, compared to almost any other vertical. I'd put us up against, against any other vertical. And we struggle to understand what systems, what access controls we have in place sprawled across, you know, that entire portfolio, in-house, cloud-hosted, everything else. So for us, there's, there's several different camps out there right now of where organizations are on, on the maturity curve, if you will. And, and I'll, t I'll sort of generalize them, hopefully briefly, into sort of three buckets. I think the first camp 
is your less mature organizations, you know, typically small, mid-sized healthcare providers, for example, and they're, they're struggling to keep operations going and, and tighter and tighter reimbursement models and the pandemics in the middle of this, right? So we've, we're just trying to keep things rolling. And for those organizations, they're very compliance driven, right? So if there's an audit finding or, or some sort of driver there, they're going to, that, that says this is a high risk area to get your identity governance in place and, and everything else, they're, they're going to put some money and energy behind it. But, but in a lot of cases they, they aren't, and they're going to rely on their third party vendors and just try to sort of scrape by and, the idea of role-based access and those types of things is, is an aspirational objective versus something that's actually really rolled out in a more mature way. Um, the second camp, these are the folks in the middle, would be organizations taking you know more proactive approach, I'd say, just a way to characterize it, um, where they'll be investing in things like multi-factor authentication, as, as Wes was alluding to, for these you know remote access and even sometimes internal access in many cases. And you know, some of the basic consolidation around digital identity, they'll have role-based access in place and and actually be implementing that in a, in a meaningful way, maybe in an 80-20 rule kind of thing. Like, yeah, we, we, we got it mostly done uh, for, for our key systems and accounts and applications, but the others sort of, we, we make a best effort. And then I'll wrap it up with just the, the sort of third camp is the more mature industry leader type organizations. These are the Typically, but not always, the larger and better funded health systems, the payers in particular, as mentioned earlier, they're typically a little farther ahead. And they'll, they'll have a lot of the bells and whistles and tools to really do this right. And that includes a, a lot of the tool sets from Microsoft and Pravada around automated provisioning, deprovisioning, single sign-on, access right reviews, governance, all the things that we really should be doing consistently across the enterprise and, and the industry. So... I would just say, you know, you talk about getting off on the right foot and how do, how do we get started? Part of it is just understanding what camp are you in? Where, where are you on that curve? And if you're in the, you know, camp one, you want to get to camp two. If you're in camp two, you want to get to camp three as, as quickly as possible so that, um, you know, we can start to take advantage of, of the great tool sets and capabilities that are out there in the market right now. And they're not, you know, they're becoming more um, economically viable and affordable. And I think that's, that's also an important game changer as well. So I'll leave it there. And um, I'm curious to hear Wes's perspective as well. Wes? Well, uh, not surprisingly, uh, I'm, I'm going uh, to talk until I'm exhausted, Anthony, unlike the rest of the people. So just uh, That's good. buckle up. Someone's buckle up. got to. Someone's <laughs> got to or we'll be finished soon. Go ahead. Uh, um, uh, I'll start from, uh, uh, you know, last to last and work my way up to, you know, I, I can't help but say, and this, of course, there's some bias here, but uh, not, not just uh, some bias because I work for Amprovada. I, I think uh, I've seen a lot and talked to a lot of customers, and I think Brian and Randy could, could back this up as well, that are trying to, uh, you know, pound their round peg into that square hole. Uh, and, and by saying that, I mean, they're, they're taking a horizontal platform uh, that was, uh, you know, developed to, to meet 60% of every, every industry's uh, uh, um, uh, requirements and, and trying to meld that into healthcare. Uh, and it just doesn't, it doesn't work. We, we've seen it. Uh, I, I've talked to a bunch of our customers who have had uh, other uh, identity governance solutions in place. It just doesn't work. You'll spend a lot of good engineering hours uh, trying to get that uh, uh, round peg into that square hole. So how do, how you get off on the right foot? Uh, I think you you pick a solution, a, sol a set of solutions uh, 
solutions uh, like uh, Improvada's uh, product set uh, that is specific for your industry. Uh, I wouldn't be trying to sell uh, Improvada's identity governance or, or single sign-on or something like that into the retail industry because we don't do retail. Uh, and, and I don't know what kind of reporting they need. I, I don't know their, their special requirements, uh, but we do for healthcare. And we've been doing healthcare uh, <laughs> uh, since we we're knee-high to a grasshopper. Uh, you know, we, 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 have, we have tons of, uh, we have clinicians on our staff, practicing clinicians on our staff, that they, you know, most of the time, one at least once a week, they go out and they are practicing clinicians, so they know what works and what doesn't work for healthcare. So first off, if you want to get off on the right foot, get uh, get a an identity uh, governance and administration uh, suite of tools uh, that are specifically designed for healthcare. Now let me get to the suite of tools part. You know, uh, I see what's happening in identity governance uh, kind of the way I saw what was happening in the EHR landscape, landscape, say, 12 to 15 years ago. You know, back then, we didn't have these massive suites of EHR. Uh, uh, we had a, a, a Pisces for the ED and a GE Radworks for radiology and uh, somebody else for OBGYN and, and somebody else for another uh, back office revenue cycle. And we tried to stitch all that stuff together and make it talk with each other using CCAO or, or uh, um, uh, not, not fire, but uh, the other one, <laughs> the old one, uh, forgot, completely blanking now, uh, HL7, got it. Uh, using CCAO and HL7, we tried to stitch it all together. You know, that's the way I see uh, some of those, usually in the, in the category one bucket or two buckets that Brian was talking about. They'll buy uh, the access management solution from somebody, the MFA solution from somebody, identity governance solution from somebody, uh, and, and other pieces of the products from somebody else, and they'll try and stitch all that together. And I see now uh, people waking up going, hey, I've, I've done this story before. I've, you know, the, especially the, the old gray hairs like me that, hey, I, I remember this somehow. This is familiar. What I'm doing with my identity and access management stuff feels familiar somehow. Oh, yeah. I, had to, I try to do the same thing with my clinical and EHR systems. So I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, and that's what we're seeing folks kind of make that migration. And it's really taking off now, uh, as you might imagine, because of COVID. Uh, we thought it might be that way because of, you know, uh, surge capabilities and that kind of thing. But, it, you know, outside of a handful of places, there wasn't really that much surge uh, out there. But what did happen was a lot of uh, moves, ads, and changes, uh, mostly ads and changes. Uh, no, mostly moves and changes uh, uh, amongst uh, folks out there. So that, that, that nurse who was working in ambulatory, uh, one day, well, they needed somebody to staff the, the COVID tent. So that, that nurse uh, uh, had to go over to the inpatient area and get all these applications and entitlements uh, assigned to him or her uh, in order to be able to, to work in that inpatient environment. And then that surge never happened. And the ambulatory nurse went back over to, to, to their ambulatory clinic 
And you know what? Nobody really kept track of the entitlements that uh, were given to him or her. And when they moved back, uh, nobody took them away from them. And the the the, the CIO, CTOs, CISOs are, are kind of now realizing, holy cow, I got this huge pot of spaghetti that I need to untangle. And, and I just don't, I don't want to do this anymore. So I'm going to put an identity access management uh, system in place that will, uh, as Brian was saying, those category three people that will automatically do these kind of things for me. So uh, we're finally getting some some traction uh, and, and people are waking up to uh, not just the, the digital identity is the new control plane, uh, but hey, if it is the new control plane, I need to get control over it. Yeah, Wes, I'll jump in there. I think I think it's getting worse in some ways too, right? With COVID yeah. and the pandemic, because all those changes you're talking about of so and so now has this access and not that access. Mm-hmm. We added all these exceptions, right? With with COVID, right. well, everybody just go home. Let's open up the access control rules and and for good reason, right? It's the right decision. But did we keep good track of you know who right. got access and maybe exactly. who needs to be reined back in? In 2021, I don't think so, right? So we're going to be the spaghetti yeah. is we're we're I don't know. We're putting something else stringy in uh, into the spaghetti. I can't think of an example. Agree. Agree. No, yeah. That's fantastic, and and that segues me into the poll that I want to put out. The this is essentially talking about the pot of spaghetti. Um, so let's launch that now, and uh, everyone can answer it, including our panelists. There are still many security issues to be addressed that were created as health systems grappled with the COVID-19 pandemic earlier this year. So go ahead and answer that. It's an agree or disagree. Um, and then we'll have our panelists guess at the results. Um, we'll see if anybody disagrees with this. Yeah, I was just going to say, Anthony, that's probably <laughs> that's a, the yeah. easiest poll question I know. That I've, I've ever been associated with. It's really terrible. It's thanks, terrible. For making, but, th- thanks for making that an easy win, Anthony. Yeah, so well. <laughs> So awful. All right. Well, listen, we tried. Um, Let's go back uh, while everyone's answering that. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the partnership. Randy, uh, you touched on it. But Wes, do you want to talk a little bit about from your point of view, what the partnership with Improvada means to existing customers, potential customers, what it means today, and what it can mean down the road? What it is and what it will be. Um, There there you go. Well done. (laughs) Uh, Got to be pretty old to get that joke. Brian's not laughing. He's not old enough. <laughs> um, yeah, um, um, Randy did talk. What does that say about what does that say about me, Wes? You didn't say that I was was too not too old to get it. Well, you know, uh, Randy, I, I, my, my parents said if you don't have anything nice to say, <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. Um, actually, the partnership, you know, uh, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, when we were introducing ourselves, um, Randy and I met uh, when I was out at Sutter uh, doing uh, a desktop transformation project with them uh, that included Improvada and Citrix and Office 365 and EMS and uh, Follow Me Print Solution. Uh, and that's when uh, we kind of took out the hammers. Uh, my smart engineers that worked out there and, and really forced uh, Improvada and Microsoft uh, actually had to make Microsoft in one instance had to make a Microsoft uh, uh, application return an error so I could use Improvada to, 
to uh, uh, stuff some usernames and passwords in there. And, and that's where I kind of realized, and I think Randy and I both realized there's some there's some gaps in, in both of our uh, IAM portfolios that, that uh, if we put them together, and this really came into, into focus when I moved to Improvada and got to know uh, our platform, our suite of tools a lot better than I did uh, when I was at Sutter. Uh, and we realized, look, if we put these together, then we do have that, that, that comprehensive integrated identity and access management platform. And one of the first, we announced that I think about a year and a half or so ago, uh, maybe maybe close to two years now. Um, and one of the things, uh, the very first thing that that we announced uh, as a as a joint, hey, this will this will help both of our customers was uh, healthcare seamless SSO. Uh, and in healthcare, uh, we have a lot of shared clinical workstations, and that is. That workstation is logged in as a generic logged in user, uh, a generic user, uh, you know, uh, user 14 and with uh, a password. Uh, and, but when a uh, when a clinician walks up and taps their badge, uh, Improvada knows them and knows what their uh, I- identification is. And any applications that are profiled uh, in our Improvada appliance, they also know to use that uh, that Improvada logged in user's uh, identification. However, uh, if they clicked on that Outlook or that, that Teams uh, on the desktop, uh, it would just default over to that generic logged in user and uh, you'd have to wait for it to fail. And then that user, if they weren't too frustrated, would actually put in their username and password and get access to that application. Well, w- about a year now ago, year and a half ago, we, we released uh, a product, uh, our, our 6.3 version of OneSign, uh, that that tells the Microsoft uh, application that there's on that that is there on the desktop to run as the Improvada logged in user, uh, which which meant that when they clicked on Outlook, uh, Windows would try and go and get that generic logged in user, and we go, nope, time out, hang on. Uh, instead of getting that generic logged in user, go over to Improvada and get the Improvada logged in user and put those credentials in Outlook. And you know what? That that worked uh, uh, a ton better uh, for for those clinicians. And now, uh, even on those Type Two workstations, they can access those great uh, Microsoft Office uh, productivity applications without having to fool around uh, with a with a password. And there's a there's a bunch more uh, integrations that that uh, we have coming down the pike. Uh, that one's out there now, available. No additional licensing costs. Uh, Microsoft. Uh, wrote a, a white paper on how to configure the the architecture on the Microsoft side. Uh, we have the the same on the Improvada side. And it just illustrates the the our our partnership. We want we want we want to build all these integrations at the warehouse uh, so that when they arrive at your shipping dock, they're already pre-integrated, uh, all integrated uh, uh, products from a Improvada perspective, of course. Uh, but then all these other places where we can see that an integration with Microsoft will benefit those joint customers as well. Um, so, yeah, that, that's where we're at, uh, where we're going. One of the things I'm really excited about uh, is, <laughs> Anthony, I think you've heard me talk about Windows Virtual Desktop before. Um, I really think it's going to bend the cost curve uh, for IT, finally, going to bend that, that piece down. Uh, a little bit, and we're working feverishly 
uh, now to be able to support uh, Windows Virtual Desktop natively. Right now, we can support it uh, through your VMware or Citrix uh, control planes, but uh, we're working feverishly to be able to support it natively. And that, that's one of the upcoming things that I'm, I'm really looking forward uh, to seeing uh, some of our customers be, be able to use. And I, I don't know, Randy, maybe, maybe you've got some other ones uh, that you want to talk about. Yeah, well, so um, I, I think first I'll say that um, I'll just sort of uh, go high level here um, to start with, and then I'll, I'll answer your question specifically. The first one is, I think the benefits for the clients, and you and I have, have again, had this conversation both, you know, amongst ourselves as well as on other calls like this, and that is, um, you know, we ask as, as technology providers, historically, we had to ask our customers to do the integration to make our to make stuff work together because it was deployed, you know, in their data centers, on their premises, all of that. It, you know, it, it it essentially was sort of isolated, if you will. And you know, now that both um, Microsoft, Improvada, and others are um, you know embracing this idea of as a service, then there's this opportunity for us to do that integration in a way that is pretty seamless to our customers, which would you know, cut down on their um, deployment costs, cut down on the um, complexity of operating and supporting that thing, cut down on the you know, effort it takes to do upgrades, you know, all of those kinds of things. And so I think the biggest benefit that um, I hope our customers get out of you know, the work that Microsoft and Improvada are doing together is that they get an end-to-end -end solution that has the power, breadth, capability, security, compliance, all of that, that, that you know, Azure Active Directory and the rest of the Microsoft um, identity and access management sort of platform brings to the table. And they get all of the richness around healthcare um, and, and, and you, know, you described it when you introduced yourself, all of the benefits to clinician and clinicians and physicians that Improvada brings and they get all of that without having to do all the hard work of making it work together. Like that, you know, if if we could, if we could do that, um, you know, and I know that you gave an instance where we've already done it. The more that we can do, the more we help the industry overall. The more we help our customers, and and so that's what I hope the benefit is. So, around though the specific one that, um, you know, I'm looking forward to is, if you think about what one sign does um, as a tool. You know, it has um, a lot of information that would help information security professionals sort of keep an eye on their environment, um, you, you know, de detect sort of bad guys and what the bad guys might be trying to do um, or, or see where they're poking at my system and all of that. And then Microsoft has a set of tools that, you know, can do that as well, right? Um, Sentinel and um, identity protection and you know, the intelligence security graph and a bunch of technologies we have. So, you know, what I'm hoping that, um, you know, we can work on together in our roadmap, and I know we've, you know, sort of already started discussions on is how do you take those two sources of information, those two, you know, security capabilities, all of that, I believe you once called it exhaust, <laughs> that comes from all of those systems and sort of put that together to inform those security professionals and all of the tools that you have in that defense in depth ecosystem about what's good and what's not good, right? Like, like imagine the intelligence that we could get um, as we brought 
our rich sort of uh, platforms together um, and, and sort of integrated that exhaust and began to run things like artificial intelligence models or ML across that, um, that integrated set of data that we both know about sort of what's going on in the ecosystem. I think that would be super powerful, Wes. And I, I know that one, I, I picked one that's, you know, a bit further out because of all the engineering work that has to happen if we, if and when, you know, we, we get there. But um, man, I'd love to see that on behalf of our customers. Yeah, that, that'd be super powerful. And by the way, I stole the term exhaust from Brad uh, Anderson there at, at Microsoft. He was, <laughs> we, can't, we can't give him credit. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Brian, anything you want to you wanna jump in on, on all that? No, it sounds like the partnership's working well. Now, tr truthfully, we see it. We, we've seen um, disparate implementations of, of some of these pieces that Wes was highlighting and, and how that's been evolving over the years. And I'm really excited about where we are right now and where we're headed and where we will be. Uh, I, I'm not going to get the quote right, Wes, but uh, I'll work on it later. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. So we've covered exhaust and spaghetti, right? We've, right. we've covered a lot of a lot of area. So uh, I'm not going to even uh, uh, get everyone excited about this. It's 100%. So that was uh, not my most interesting question. But anyway... Speaking of interesting questions, we're going to go to Wes and give him an opportunity to ask his co-panelists a question. I'd like you to start with Brian. Wes. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of, Brian mentioned at, the, at his introduction um, uh, another company he's involved in called Coral, um, and it's it's interesting. I, I'm just kind of curious uh, to see the uptake out there. You know, kind of a, a specific question. You know. It, Coral is about the only one I know that that actually performs the kind of service that that you do. Are there other? And you don't have to name them, I guess. That wouldn't be good for you. But are, <laughs> are there are there other competitors out there for for Coral, or or is it, as I see it, a pretty uh, one-off, unique service? It, fortunately, thanks, Wes. Fortunately, it's it's still pretty unique and one-off, so that's the good news. I don't have to name names, but the the space is heating up, though, and and many of you, I think, will be familiar with this, where we, we know third-party risk is a monster challenge, right? We know the breaches are, we have these dependencies on our vendors. It's not like it used to be, right? Like where the, the vendors were just, we'd share some data, they'd do some processing and then spit it back to us. Wherever. We now got our, our electronic health record systems, our, our core infrastructure, everything is running through a third party, all of our specialty departments and, and floors and systems, medical devices, you name it. So it's no longer an option. So we, like the industry knows that, right? I think we've, we've come around to that and realizing it's a very complex problem. So the solutions that are coming out now, apart from us, we do managed services. So we, we sort of handle it end to end and scale it up. So if you've got thousands of vendors, we can crank through them. Whereas if you have, if you're trying to use half of an FTE from your security or risk team to catch up with a thousand vendors, like you're, that mountain is, is one that will never be climbed in, in our lifetime. So the managed service is really, is really helping, but there's also a lot of tools and tech being thrown at the problem, which I think is an important piece of the puzzle. So you have a lot of these um, cyber risk scoring companies uh, and GRC tools and governance risk and compliance tools. Sorry to throw acronyms around at you guys, but um there's a lot of a lot of tech being thrown in it, and you guys know this well. If you automate a complex problem with not a very well founded solution, you don't put the bodies and the people behind it to make it work. It it doesn't work, and um, I think we're getting in a better place. And 
evolving our space, but we're very early. And, and I, I think, and this is self-interested, of course, but I, I think the managed services piece has got to be a part of it, a big part of it, because the teams just can't keep up with the load. Yeah, I mean, and just this, go ahead, Randy. Yeah, so Brett, I was just going to ask you, one of the things that I've observed, and I think we at Microsoft probably have observed, is that the move to cloud, while you know creating additional things you have to consider from a security and compliance perspective, has also helped us start to shift toward a common set of evaluations and controls that we can use versus every individual organization, and in many cases, every department in an organization having their own security checklist or their own compliance checklist, getting to a framework like HITRUST or you know, um, one of a, a few others out there. Do you guys see that um, making it sort of easier to manage this third-party risk where we sort of all decide to follow the same sort of framework? And do you see that shift toward that model versus these one-off checklists that, you, you know, every, um, you know, again, every department seems to have? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point, Randy, because I think I think just the consolidation alone, the fact that you have more organizations running Microsoft Office 365 instead of an exchange server in the basement, you know, that alone creates some standardization around the capabilities, the tools, the upgrades alone, just so that we're all sort of running on similar versions, which makes security a little bit a little bit easier, not easy, but easier. And the frameworks um, you know, NIST just came out with a new version, NIST 853, Rev5 came out this last month or whatever. So you have NIST and HITRUST um, are really the, the top frameworks. I think the fact that we've consolidated around them, and in fact, HITRUST just ropes in NIST anyway. So it's all kind of the same stuff. But the big game changer has been the certifications, I think, in a lot of ways, where you get your cloud providers and your third parties getting HITRUST certified, SOC 2 certifications, those types of things. And that's creating really the, the standardization and confidence that organizations have, third parties in particular, have consistent security that we can actually rely upon. Uh, but it's still it's still a bowl of spaghetti, a different kind of spaghetti, you know, but uh, it's getting, getting a little bit better uh, in some ways. Okay, thanks for that. I appreciate that. Uh, Brian, we actually have a legit question from the audience on the correct spelling of your company name and contact information. This is sure. not a setup. Sure. I, I, like, I like the setup, even if it is. Um, Metatology, <laughs> Medi I'll, I'll stand on this on the wall. No, no, it was uh, Coral, specifically. Oh, Coral, C-O-R-L, C-O-R-L Technologies. Pronounce Coral. Okay, spell. and that's yep. it, just Google that and it'll Coral, come up? CoralTech.com, yep, and you can find us there. Okay, all right, very good. Uh, that's good. That's nice. We're serving people. Um, we are close to our time. I'm going to give everyone a chance for a final uh, brief statement, uh, words of wisdom, advice, things like that. So, um, you know, picture you're talking to a CIO or a CISO who is on the line today or going to be listening to this archive recording. What's your parting advice for them uh, on how they can move forward to, to best advantage? Um, Randy, let's start with you. Yeah, uh, thanks, Anthony. And, um, you know, thanks again for having me as, as we close. This has been a super interesting conversation and um, I've, I've learned a lot um, as well, which is always good. Um, you know, I would say um, healthcare has sort of reached the tipping point where, um, you know, health data in the cloud, health apps in the cloud is no longer sort of something that, um, you know, really, really scares folks. So I, I think we've, we're beyond maybe that tipping point. 
But there's still some perception that, um, you, you know, public cloud providers like Microsoft represent um, a step down in security or control or, you know, whatever. And uh, I, I would encourage sort of a second or a third or even fourth look at that because um, especially for Microsoft, you, you know, we're able to sort of invest in the R&D and operations and patching and, and defense and, you know, all of those kinds of things on behalf of our customers at scale that I would sort of challenge that um, idea that, you know, the cloud represents higher risk. And then in many cases, the cloud represents lower risk. Um, I'll, I'll piggyback on what, what Brian said about exchange in the basement, right? Like uh, when you have exchange in the basement, um, you, you know, you're sort of patching exchange one off and, you know, and, and, you know, there's a bunch of operations from that. You're seeing a subset of the threats against that exchange server in the basement kind of thing. And when we're doing it, it's continuously monitored, patched, defended, updated, all of those kinds of things in, in you know, a much faster pace because of the scale, because we're doing it for everybody. So we can make the investment to do it. So I would sort of just, you know, challenge that notion and not um, have our customers not only get to the tipping point, but beyond that and get the critical mass where, you know, we all understand that the more we can work together um, and, and sort of bring those uh, things like the standards that we talked about that, you know, cloud providers uh, like Microsoft have the sort of um, investment in defense and, and security controls and everything that cloud providers like Microsoft have, you know, I think the faster that we can sort of get there, the actual more secure um, that, that we could be. So thank you again. Very good. Brian, closing statement. Sure thing. Thanks, Anthony. I'll be, I'll be brief. Um, I think, for me, for those sitting in the audience, if you're looking at this problem, identity management, digital identity, and all this, it can be overwhelming. It can be this large, complex problem. And we've, we've highlighted a lot of the challenges today, and, and it, it can be daunting. What I want to leave folks with is it is solvable, and it is, and it has been done, and it can be done. Um, you may be on a maturity curve, and if you, you know, if you keep chipping away and moving toward that next, that next camp, that next category, that next bucket of maturity, you can get there. And there are industries just like you, um, not industries, there are organizations that look and smell and sound just like you that have done it and can do it. So I think making sure that you have an information security and risk strategy that incorporates digital identity, identity management, and that you have a way to be chipping away at that over time. Don't imagine you're going to fix it all with some big project in 2021 and all be done. It's, it doesn't, it's not that easy, but, um, get moving, keep the ball, mo the momentum moving in the right direction and take advantage of the tools and the, the folks that have paved the way before you like Randy's folks and Wes and others that can help show you the way. Perfect, Wes, final thought. Yeah, uh, Brian couldn't have set me up better. Uh, you know, we, we have just recently released uh, something we call the uh, Improvata uh, Digital Identity Framework for Healthcare. It's based on the HISAC's uh, recently released uh, digital identity framework. Uh, and I'd encourage folks to uh, go take a look at it. Um, it's got a, a bunch of pieces and parts, uh, about 32 capabilities that we've, the, that we've gathered from a whole bunch of other frameworks uh, that, that'll give you that, what Brian was talking about, the, uh, the, that framework that you can start filling in the boxes, uh, literally. Uh, fill in in the boxes of I've got this and I got this and now I have to get this and I need to get that. 
So, so yeah, you're not going to get it all done at one time. So uh, I'd encourage folks to uh, visit our uh, website, improvata.com, and take a look at that uh, digital identity framework for healthcare. Kind of let that let that you know be one of the one of the guides that you use, along with high trust and NIST, uh, in developing uh, that really really essential. Uh, and I'm glad that folks are now realizing how essential it is. That essential digital identity uh, framework and strategy. Uh, very good, very good. I did just get an audience question again, a legit question, asking about the large bananas behind you, <laughs> Wes. I swear to God, yes, I'm not yeah. making that up. Yeah. So, yeah, um, you might want to think about that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll yeah. maybe the next time I do one of these, I'll have to uh, debananaize. Debananaize. Uh, yeah. Debananaize my my uh, uh, my uh, background. Very good. Well, it is always a pleasure. We we are just about out of time. So regarding continuing education, you could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the archive of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy from our team and register for our upcoming webinars at our site. And with that, I want to thank our panel. It's a lot of fun today. Uh, fun and work, right? Mixing both, which is the way it's supposed to be. Uh, Brian Selfridge, Randy Nail, my good friend Wes Wright. I want to thank Improvada for sponsoring and making this event possible. And I want to thank you, our attendees. With that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Anthony. Always fun.